0: Welcome to our fourth installment as we focus on typology as it relates to Moses and his connections with Christ. Uh, It's part of a much greater series entitled Typology as we walk through all of the books of the Old Testament that point to uh, Christ. Uh, But just as a way of reminder, let me uh, remind you really quickly about what we mean when we use the term typology. From the very first session, uh, we reminded everyone that typology is not an allegory. It's not mythological. We're not reading things in the scripture, but typology is something that God in, it initially and intentionally established in the Old Testament. It's things that actually happened in the Old Testament, events that, that actually transpired, but they were kind of like pictures of a greater picture that would transpire later. And many of these things in the Old Testament that we see point to something in the life of Jesus or a fulfillment in the church or something like that. But it's almost as if God gave us a small piece of a puzzle that fits a greater puzzle that we see later in the New Testament. And so as we look at the life of Moses, we see all of these things that that are very real and very direct connections to Christ. And part of this, uh, we see even uh, in Moses's writings, he says, God is going to raise up a prophet like me. And what Moses is saying, probably unbeknownst to himself, is that there are going to be so many similarities between the things that I do and the things that Christ does, but Christ will be the superior. He will be the Messiah. He is God. And so that's what we mean when we talk about typology. It's things that happen in the old that point to something that happened in the new. In your notes, we're going to go ahead and jump in. Number one, your notes say Moses anointed the tabernacle just as Jesus anoints the new tabernacles. Um, Leviticus 8 reads this. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle. It goes on to say that that he went he anointed everything within the tabernacle from top to bottom he anointed everything and that anointing uh, oil what it was meant to do was was to be a type of consecration to set things apart for holy use well later in the new testament what we find on the day of pentecost that the spirit of the living god falls And now, instead of having a temple that we go to to worship to encounter God, we are now identified as temples of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God himself dwells within us and we have communion without having to really go to a temple or anything like that. And in the same way that Moses would consecrate and and set things aside for a holy use, that is exactly what the Spirit of God is trying to do with us. He has anointed us, he has set us apart, he has called us out for holy use. And so we see both Moses and Jesus anointing the tabernacles. Number two in your notes, we see Moses left a successor just as Jesus left successors and a successor. I'll explain that. In the life of Moses, we see as soon as the Lord takes him up on a hill and he says, um, Moses, because you sinned against me back in the wilderness, um, I'm going to let you look into the promised land, but, but unfortunately, you're not going to be able to go into the promised land. You're going to die here, but the people are going to go um, after you die. Um, in the same way, um, that after he died, God rose up a young man by the name of Joshua, who was more like a militaristic commander that took the lead in the people of Israel. And so you see this handoff from Moses to Joshua. Joshua was the successor. Well, Again, in the same way in the life of Jesus, um, you see as Jesus, just before he is taken into heaven, before he ascends, the Bible says that he's speaking with the disciples and he breathes on them. In, in other words, he, he breathes something new, a fresh anointing, a fresh direction, a fresh purpose, and he calls them to be his successors. And, and the 12 disciples, we see him him, him commissioning them to go forth. But the thing is, is that it's not just that the Lord set the 12 disciples to be His successors, but He called us to be His successors, to continue to take the message of the cross to the utter ends of the earth. And so, in one way, um, these two men granted um, a gift to their successors. But Jesus went a step further. And he left even a greater level of successor in the gift of the Holy Spirit. We find here in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his boys and he's about to go to the cross and and die, go to the tomb, raise again, and then ascend into heaven. But before that, he's talking to his disciples and he makes this statement. He says, but the father will give you another advocate to help you. But he will not come until Christ has been taken. And so in this sense, not only has God left human successors, but God has given us a spiritual successor in the gift of the Holy Spirit, if you want to word it that way. Number three in your notes, we find Moses gave an inheritance to his people just as Jesus gives an inheritance to his people. Uh, Joshua chapter 1. Uh, scripture says um, this is Moses speaking to uh, the people, or, or excuse me, Joshua speaking to the people, and he says, You may stay in the land that Moses gave to you. So, in other words, he's saying, Moses has given you an inheritance. He is gone, and there's an inheritance for you. Um, you can choose whether to receive it or not. Well, in the book of Ephesians, we're told that in Christ we obtained an inheritance. Now, the inheritance that we have inherited is uh, the gift of eternal life, just the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are so many things that may qualify as spiritual inheritance for us, but I want to remind us that probably the greatest inheritance we received uh, was the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, there was, uh, in in the days of the disciples and, and back into Old Testament times, um, is so important for us to understand the way that humans lived um, was very different than the way that, that we are now enabled to live today. The Spirit of God was not dwelling on the earth the way that the Spirit of God dwells now. And so when the, when the Spirit of God began to dwell within people, it wasn't um, like the Old Testament times when the Spirit of God may come and visit people and then go back and, and visit people. There were times of visitation, but now the Spirit of God continuously dwells in the believers of Christ. And so we had this incredible gift, but, but this encounter when the Spirit of God began to fill people, it changed everything. It changed the way that the world operated That changed the way that, that people operated. Um, we even see in, in the opening chapter of, uh, the book of Acts, the disciples are sitting around before the gift of the spirit fell. They're sitting around and they're saying, we've got to replace Judas who took his own life. And so they're, they're having conversation and the Bible says that they did something that's very old Testament esque. The Bible says that they began to cast lots and the lots fell on a man named Matthias. And so until the Holy Spirit came, even decision-making, the way that, that godly people would make decisions was very different before the era of the Spirit came. Well, now we don't cast lots today. There's no need for that. Why? Because we have the inheritance of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. He is our teacher, our comforter, our guide. He enables us to do that, which is one of the greatest inheritances that we have. Number four in your notes Moses appears a second time, just as Jesus will appear a second time. Matthew chapter 7, you remember this, where um, uh, it's, it's called the moment of, of Jesus' transfiguration. Uh, they're on the side of a mountain, and the Bible says, just then there appeared before them, before Jesus, uh, James, Peter, and John, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah as they were speaking with Jesus. And so Moses made a second appearance after his death on the mountainside before he was able to enter the promised land. Um, later in human history, he comes back and he speaks with Jesus and with Elijah in a conversation. Well, Jesus is going to appear a second time. And even though in Jesus's first coming, though his fame spread throughout human history, um, he was only seen by um, you know, a few thousand people. Well, the reality is there's coming a day where Jesus is going to come a second time and every eye will see and every ear will hear him when he returns. Number five in your notes, Moses spoke of Jesus just as Jesus spoke of Moses. Uh, We see in Moses' life, again, I I mentioned this in a previous segment, but there was a moment where Moses is writing in Deuteronomy 18 and he says, there's going to come a prophet like me. In other words, there are a lot of similarities in the prophet or the Messiah that's coming, and he will be like me. This is why when John the Baptist showed up, uh, the spectators and the religious leaders, they they asked him, are you the prophet? And what they were saying by that is, are you the Messiah? And John quickly, no, that's not who I am, but that is who Jesus was. And so Moses spoke of Jesus, but Jesus also spoke of Moses. As he's continuing with the religious leaders uh, in John chapter five, he says, look, if you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. And so Jesus was not only affirming what Moses had written about Jesus, but Jesus was affirming uh, that he was who Moses said he was. And so we see them both uh, writing and speaking of each other. Number six in your notes Moses was described as meek, just as Jesus is described as meek. Numbers 12 verse 3, the scripture says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, the ironic thing about Numbers chapter 12 is that Moses is the one who wrote Numbers chapter 12. So in other words, Moses was saying, I am a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. The great thing about this is that we understand that although it may have been through the hand of Moses, it was really the voice of God that was speaking through because Moses was inspired by the Spirit of God to write everything. So we know this is true. It's just a little funny that Moses calls himself the most humble man on the face of the planet. Later in Scripture, we see Jesus described as meek also. Um, I read one time uh, an author, I can't remember uh, their name, but they said that in the life of Jesus, what you saw was a man who was who was mightier than the mightiest, but yet meeker than the meekest. And we see that uh, correlation between Jesus and between Moses. Meekness is such an interesting word and an interesting attribute that a person can possess. And in in a very dumbed down version of what meekness is it it means harnessed strength it's the idea of uh a few years ago i I saw a movie um called man of steel It's it's a superman movie And uh, there's a scene in the movie where the U.S. government uh, basically arrests. They detain Superman, and Superman's walking around in handcuffs for an hour or so. And uh, in the movie, uh, one of them asks a challenging question, and Superman just says, do you want me to put all my cards on the table? And the guy says yes, and just kind of does like that, and the handcuffs shatter, you know. Uh, Well, what was Superman doing in that moment? He He was being meek. It was, it was his harnessed strength. He had the strength to do whatever he wanted to in that moment, uh, but he controlled it. He harnessed it. That's the same thing that you have with Moses and with Jesus. They could have likely done whatever they wanted to with the miraculous, uh, powerful gifts that God had given to them, but they were harnessed in their approach, and so that's why they're both called meek. Number seven in your notes, Moses was described as faithful just as jesus is described as faithful Uh, we read in the book of revelation that jesus uh, he is recognized that the one as the one who is faithful and true the one who is faithful and true number eight moses was described as wise just as jesus is the personification of wisdom And so uh, the book of Acts, as Stephen is giving his incredible sermon that goes throughout the entire Old Testament and points to the life of Jesus, uh, this is what Peter says, or excuse me, this is what Stephen says. He says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. So in other words, we understand that Moses was an incredibly wise man. But we understand that Jesus uh, wasn't just wise, he was the personification of wisdom. He is, he is walking wisdom, and if, if you want to lean in that way. Well, in a very similar way, Moses was described as mighty, just as Jesus was described as mighty. So in the same sentence there, as Stephen is is giving his sermon to the religious leaders, uh, Acts chapter 7, he says that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and in his deeds. Well, Jesus in the Gospels, that same rendition, that that same wording that Jesus was mighty in his words and his deeds, is used of Jesus just as it was used of of Moses and so both of these men were incredibly mighty in the in the eyes of people but we know that it was the strength of God coming through them and so this is why you will see people that were amazed and they were struck with wonder and awe. it was because they were mighty and God empowered them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Number 10, Moses was described as a prophet just as Jesus is described as a prophet. Uh, Deuteronomy 34, since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. So, in other words, the, uh, they're saying there, there was nobody that was even close to being the type of prophet that Moses was. We see in the life of Jesus that he's clearly a prophet. Not only is Jesus, does he have the ability to foretell, but he has the ability to foretell. Now, the difference is, you know, the words are very similar, but there is a difference between this type of prophecy. Um, a person who is able to foretell something is someone that has divine knowledge. So, for example, if uh, you encounter a prophet and they are able to tell you things about your life that no one else knows, that is a forth telling. They're, they're, they're telling you that. Um, as as a foretelling. A foretelling is when someone, a prophet, comes and they are speaking about something that is going to happen in the future. They're foretelling that these things are going to transpire. Well, Jesus does both of these. He fulfills the ultimate role of a prophet in this way. Number 11 in your notes, Moses was described as a priest just as Jesus is described as a priest. Uh, Psalm 99, Moses and Aaron were among God's priests. Uh, The book of Hebrews is just littered with discussion about Jesus as he serves as our high priest. Uh, the, the high priest in the ages beforehand, uh, they would have to make sacrifices day after day after day. But our high priest, he has made one final sacrifice for all of humans, for all of human history. And so in that way, these are both, the, both of these men are priests. Number 12 in your notes, Moses was described as a king just as Jesus is described as a king. Deuteronomy 33, Moses was the king of Rejesharon. Uh, Jesus is described as a king, prophetically speaking, in the Old Testament. Uh, The scriptures remind us that uh, the Messiah, Jesus, will inherit the throne of of David. And so we know that there is royalty flowing through his his veins. But one fascinating kind of humorous uh, thing, uh, as Jesus goes to the cross, You remember the story where uh, Pilate goes and he instructs the people, his people, his soldiers, to make a sign and to hang it over Jesus's cross. Well, what does the sign say? It says, Jesus, King of the Jews. And although it may have been a mockery, maybe Pilate was trying to mock Jesus, or maybe he was trying to mock the Jewish people. The point is, is that God even used that mockery and uh, pilate had that phrase written in three different languages on that signage and so that people from all over the world that that were there no matter what language they could read or speak they were able to understand that this man is king of the jews and as i said even if pilate meant it as a joke or mockery for either party the point is is that he was speaking truth and he didn't even realize it because jesus is the king of the jews Number 13 in your notes, Moses was described as a judge, just as Jesus is described as judge. Uh, Exodus 18 talks about how Moses took his seat to serve the people as a judge, to uh, make decisions. They would bring their cases and their issues before him, and Moses would judge between right and wrong. Um, Later, what we find in the New Testament is that there's coming a day where we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, give an account for our lives, and God will judge us. Now, for those of us who are in Christ, uh, this is not a judgment of heaven or hell. That was taken care of at the cross. That judgment was satisfied at the cross. This judgment is what we call the Bema seat, the, the judgment seat of Christ, where we'll stand before God, and we will be rewarded or not rewarded based on how we have lived this life. And so both of these men serve as judges. And then finally, number 14 in your notes, Moses went silent when attacked, just as Jesus became silent when he was attacked. Uh, There's a moment in Moses's life where Miriam and Aaron attack Moses verbally. They kind of contend with him. Even his uh, his spiritual authority, they, they almost kind of attack, you know, that, that God can speak to any of us. He, he can use any of us. Um, but they're attacking him about the wife that he chose to marry. And, and the Bible makes it pretty clear that Moses just fell silent. He just fell silent. As a matter of fact, the very next scripture speaks about how Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And so even uh, there were times where Moses was verbally attacked that he just fell silent. Because he knew that, that no matter what I say, it's not going to satisfy the people. And no matter what I say, um, it will not uh, solve this situation. Well, we see the same thing in the life of Jesus. There were so many times where he was being verbally attacked that Jesus remained silent and he gave no answer. Even as he was uh, on trial at times and being beaten and bruised, there were times that he remained silent because he knew the purposes of God were being fulfilled even in those moments. And that was a very difficult thing, I'm sure, for him in the same way that it's very difficult for us when we feel the need to remain silent. And so this wraps up the correlations between Moses as a person and Christ. And uh, I'm so very thankful for these two men and their examples and all that they show us. Father, we thank you for these men and we thank you for uh, your foreknowledge to see that we would be able to need stuff like this, that we would be able to see the life of Moses and we would be able to understand that his life, as amazing as it was, it really just points to another life that's even far greater than his life and the life of Jesus. And uh, I just pray that you will continue to help us to see Jesus in all things that you may be glorified in his name. Amen, amen, and amen.